I'm Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. This is a podcast for women who wonder how strength and weakness coexist, or how to bless both bravery and tenderness. For those longing to bring the fullness of their glory to the world without a chip on their shoulder. For those who have embraced a global sisterhood and left small storied lives behind, this is for you. The fierce and lovely women seeking the both and of a big storied life. Join me as I chat with fierce and lovely women around the world. this episode, I talk with Courtney Scarivon, young mama and fierce advocate. We talk about her role leading Free the Girls, which is an international organization that exists to help girls rescued from sex trafficking live a life of true freedom, primarily through economic empowerment. Courtney shares about what she's learned by walking side by side with these global sisters. And I would say, moms, if you're listening with your daughters, this is probably appropriate for girls ages 12 and up. We don't get into nitty gritty details of human trafficking, but it's an incredible conversation of empowerment and freedom. And I think your girls would be encouraged to listen. Join us in this great conversation. Welcome to the show, Courtney. Thank you so much, Beth. I am so looking forward to talking with you today, uh, but let me start off with a very important question for you. So a lot of uh, places in my bio says that I traded the Blue Ridge Mountains in for the Rockies <laughs> with a number of mega cities in between, but you have just done the opposite and you have traded the Rockies in for the East Coast. I know not the Blue Ridge, but kind of the Appalachia mountain range, Right. I absolutely did. I'm really close to the Blue Ridge Mountains. I'm just over the North Carolina border in Tennessee in the Elizabethan Tri-Cities area. So would that be considered the Smoky Mountain Range? Yes. Is that where you are? Okay. So Courtney, what is maybe the top thing you miss about Colorado Mountains? And what's one thing you're loving about the Smoky Mountains? Oh, so I am missing the fact that no matter where you are, you can drive an hour and be in snow in the Rocky Mountains. I love snow. And so even in the dead of summer, when you know temperatures are getting close to 100, you can head for the hills and find some snow. That is I so am true. missing that so much. <laughs> um, but what I'm loving is just the colors of the Smokies um, as it's becoming, you know, fall and autumn and just the, the, brilliant, beautiful colors that are here. I did, um, I did miss that in, in Denver, having just the, the, the rainbow in autumn here in the, in the Smokies. So it's, it's really beautiful being here during autumn again. That is such a great comparison. So right on. I, I grew up in Virginia and Tennessee actually. And those are two, that's something I miss so much are the colors, the variety. So, okay. Awesome. That's just such a funny thing that we swapped directions. <laughs> you get the 
snow though. So go play in the snow I for do. me. <laughs> I do. Okay, I will. Um, so Courtney, you are a mom to two very, very little ones. Um, how old are the kids right now? Amelia is 16 months and Oliver is 10 weeks old today. Oh, yes. So you are in the thick of things. I I think that's one of the most beautiful and difficult seasons of parenting. I'm sure it, you're feeling that. Yes. Um, it's it's really fun and incredibly exhausting. And I am finding myself just loving it and laughing. And then there are times my husband comes home and all three of us are in tears. And I'm like, I don't even know what's happening right now. So it's definitely a juggle. Um, but honestly, I wouldn't trade it. I'm I'm really liking this 14-month age gap. I'm saying that now, but <laughs> who knows in the future. But I really am loving it. Gosh, if you can say that now with a newborn, I think it's only up from here, I would imagine. So well done. Oliver is just a very calm boy. Amelia, my daughter, was uh, much feistier as a newborn. So I'm glad the uh, the second the second one, you know, came out a little calmer. <laughs> right. Yeah. God's grace to you. Amen. Well, in addition to having two little ones, you are also the executive director of Free the Girls, correct? I am. And so we're gonna circle back around to how that's possible for you for both of those things to be true. <laughs> Um, but can you tell my listeners a little bit about Free the Girls? Absolutely. So we are a nonprofit and we provide reintegration services for women that are coming out of um, commercial sex because of sex trafficking. Um, so we work with partners in Sub-Sahara Africa and Central America, people that are doing the rescue and the rehabilitation aspect. And we come alongside them and help provide the what now aspect. Um, how are these women going to reintegrate back into their communities? How are they going to find viable employment? Things like that. Our big focus is on economic empowerment because we know you know, if, if a woman is unable to make a livable wage, she's at a much higher rate for revictimization. And so um, we, we collect bras, new and gently used bras from women all over North America. And these bras become the inventory for these women to sell in their local markets. And they're able to provide for themselves and their families. And it provides a very tangible way for women here in the States to to be a part of this. You know, there if you donate a bra, it's the actual inventory for a woman to sell to be able to feed her family. So it's really fun being a part of just connecting people here with the women overseas and you know just kind of having that that global sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Which I, I love. And I, I have questions about that in a second. But tell us a little bit more about why bras, why particularly in the countries that you're partnering in, why bras would become such a viable business for these women? So the areas where we work, there are no local textile industries that create lingerie. Um, there's also a large demand for these. Um, they're seen as you know very cosmopolitan. You're very modern wearing these bras. And so they sell for top dollar. Um, so a woman in El Salvador only really has to sell four bras a day to make a livable wage. So this gives her the ability to, um, it gives her the space to go through therapy, to um, go back for adult education if that's what she wants. It just, it, it allows that freedom. The other thing with bras is that they're selling to other women. And for 
people coming out of commercial sex, the transaction of money can be a trigger, as you can imagine. And so in this way, it's very safe. They're able to sell to other women um, as they are working through what it means to be in the local economy again. And um, as they're trying to figure out who's a safe man and what does that look like and how can I protect myself within this marketplace? Um, it just, it's, it works well. Mm-hmm. I just love that it does create this sisterhood and it's a sisterhood there, but it's also between us and there. And so I think one of the things I love about Free the Girls is you've found a way to involve donors and participants here in the U.S. in a meaningful way. So many nonprofits, particularly that focus internationally, I think struggle to help volunteers or donors do more than just write a check. Um, and you, that's your entire model, actually, is, is this hands-on participation. I love that. Can you think of a story of a girl or, or a woman here in the U.S. and what, what their involvement has looked like and how that has impacted them? Oh, absolutely. Um, we, oh, I'm trying to think of just a single one. We, um, we get about 18,000 bras a month and sometimes people include notes. We love to read those. We have so many women who are breast cancer survivors who have donated their bras after having a double mastectomy and saying, this is redeeming. Um, we have had men, um, widowers who have donated their wives' bras, um, even years after their wives have passed away, saying, you know, this is the first time I've been able to um, clean my wife's closet out and I know she would have wanted to work towards freedom. And so this is, this is you know, in honor of her to be able to do that. And when, when I hear these stories, um, we can, we pretty much know when we get bras, um, depending on what time of the year it is, we know where those bras are going, which country they're going to go to. And so if they have given us a way to contact them, I always try to respond and say, you know, this is going to Mozambique and this is changing a woman's life and really trying to connect that because that is incredibly redemptive for that person who's donating a bra. Bras are such a personal thing. And, you know, you, you wear it close to your heart is what our co-founder Kimba says. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's going across the ocean um, in a cargo ship and it is changing lives and trajectories of generations because now these women's children are not going to be, you know, as vulnerable to this same sort of exploitation um, because their mamas are able to, to provide for them and, and give them education. And it just... It's really, really beautiful. And so if anybody donates a bra, we would love to hear your story because it mm. really connects us as a staff and we're able to tell our women overseas about you just as we tell you about our women overseas. So tell us a story of a woman overseas. Tell us some of those um, redeeming stories. Absolutely. Um, Fatima, she's it's just an amazing woman. Uh, she's a woman in Mozambique and I am telling her story with permission. She actually requested that we tell her story um, so that one women know, you know, that there is redemption that's available and, um, and also just to encourage supporters to keep giving bras. Um, so Fatima um, in Mozambique, she was the oldest of um, all of her siblings both of her parents passed away. And so she 
needed to take care of her siblings and survival sex. Um, you know, she found somebody who played the pimp and, uh, took care of her, um, quote unquote, and helped her make money and to fend for herself and her children. Um, she was 12 years old when she began. Mm-hmm. Um, she has five children, all from, from different fathers, um, from her life within, within prostitution. Um, and she, she ended up finding free the girls at about the same time she found a local church. And she says, Jesus just changed everything, mm-hmm. changed the way she viewed herself to where she felt she was able to even walk towards redemption and restoration, mm-hmm. that she wasn't broken enough, that she could, that she was created to be something more, to be free, truly free. And so Fatima now has all of her children in school, um, some of them in private school, which is a lot. She has purchased land from the sale of her bras. She um, has built a house. She bought pigs. She is doing a whole community restoration project, essentially, with these pigs. When these pigs um, have litters, she's giving the baby pigs to other families and just changing her entire community from this. And um, I sat with her outside of Maputo a couple years ago while she's telling me this story. And the thing that struck me the most was watching her daughter, her daughter who's 15 at the time, um, the way that her daughter was looking at her mama, was looking at Fatima, there was such pride and there was such love and respect because this girl remembers her mother in prostitution. She remembers those nights Mm. and seeing, you know, she said, you know, I want to be an engineer. I've seen what my mom can do and I can do anything. And Fatima's quote is, you, we have shown you what we can do when you donate bras. When you donate bras, you give life. And I mean, come on, can you have a better spokesperson than that? That was incredible. Um, so we we just adore Fatima. And she has graduated out of our program and is um, has two different businesses, one selling, um, one selling used clothing and the other selling cleaning supplies. Wow. What an amazing testimony of of God's work in a person's life and also your work in her community. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Fatima, for allowing that to be shared. Um, Courtney, when you said graduate out of the program, what does that look like? How how long are they in a particular program where their business is selling bras and what else are they doing during that program and how are they deemed ready to leave? What does that mm-hmm. look like? So I'll, I'll address that, that last part first. Um, you know, how do we know they're ready to leave? Uh, a couple of years ago, we restructured a lot of our international programs. Um, the, we as a staff were thinking, okay, we keep saying like we're about true freedom, but what does that actually mean? And why are we defining what freedom means to these women overseas? So we asked, what do you need in place in order for you to consider yourself truly free? And it's different in each location. In El Salvador, it was, my child needs to be in school because a lot of our women in El Salvador have been trafficked by the gangs in San Salvador. And a lot of the gangs recruit from the public schools or from the streets. And so the women said, we need to have our children in private schools. So 
okay, well then that is, you know, that is a benchmark on, you know, are you able to provide for yourself and for your children to be in a private school or not? You know, um, in, in Mozambique, um, a lot of it is literacy. We had one woman when we asked, you know, what, what's your dream? And she said, I just want to be able to read my child a bedtime story. So we enrolled her in adult literacy classes like the next day because we can get you to read a bedtime story to your child. Um, and so uh, we just have tailored it to say, you know, okay, you know, economically, psychologically, spiritually, and physically, what does it mean for you to be free? Mm. And once they have hit these benchmarks, then we're good. Mm. Um, and then we graduate and we celebrate you. Um, so graduation we usually have the women in the program, we say two years, but it really is a case by case situation. If we have a woman who has, you know, seven children under the age of 12, realistically, she's not going to be able to find something else that's as flexible. And so we make allowances and she stays a little longer. Other women, they get into it. Um, these women are born saleswomen, right? They've had to do, they've had to do sales, unfortunately, right. for so long. And so we're not teaching new skills. We're drawing out what they've already had to do. And so they take to it very quickly. And so um, we have other women who are in it for six, seven months, and then they feel confident enough to put in a job application at a local restaurant. And they're okay. And so then we celebrate them moving on. We don't want them to be dependent upon us for always selling bras. If import laws change or anything like that, we don't want them to be left with nothing else that they can do. Mm-hmm. And so um, two years is usually what we do. Uh, everything in our program we offer. These women are coming from situations in which control was taken from them. And so we don't force or require them to do anything. The only requirement we have is that while they're selling bras, they are not actively in prostitution. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the women do return to the streets for a bit of time. Um, but most of the time they end up coming back to us. And that's fine. We welcome you with open arms and, you know, let's let's try this again. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do provide... Um, you know, psychosocial support, um, some trauma care, education reimbursement. We don't pay for the women to go to school. Um, we want them to take ownership of that. And so, um, you know, they'll pay for school fees and their supplies. But if they bring their reports to us and show this is my attendance, you know, you can see this is what I've been doing, we will, you know, give them some of that back for, for education uh, reimbursement. Um, and then as they're graduating out, they can apply for um, our inheritance project grants. For a lot of these women, they're coming from collective societies in which um, inheritances and family means a lot. But because of these women's time in prostitution, a lot of times they're severed from their families and they can't rely on an inheritance or family support. And so we provide that. So we will match the amount of money that they have saved that can go towards buying land or purchasing a house or fixing up a house or their new business or whatever that looks like. And they are always welcome. Our doors are always open for any additional psychosocial support or counseling or trauma therapy that they need in the future. Hmm. It sounds so empowering. It's really, it's an incredible model. Um, And I love how it's community first. I mean, it's, they are the center of their own healing. Mm-hmm. And you've asked them, what does that look like? I love that. So Courtney, around an issue as difficult as um, the sex industry, 
and sex trafficking, prostitution. How have you seen these women? And then I want to ask this of you personally as well. How do you enter into such a hard issue and balance this aspect that we're talking about on the podcast of of bravery and tenderness and strength and weakness and fierce and and loveliness just this this beautiful tension of both of those things um but around su- such a difficult issue i could see that balance becoming really challenging how have you seen the women in some of your partner countries wrestle through and struggle through that balance? I think in a situation that is so hard and so difficult, there's more space for the sacred to make its way out. Um, And so you can see beautiful fierceness and beautiful loveliness um, in the midst of such horror and such darkness, the light shines even more. Um, we have, um, two women in Mozambique. Um, the, the way it is in, in Maputo is there's, there's essentially one street, um, where, um, the majority of the commercial sex industry happens. It's, it's this one street and, um, the women who have come out of prostitution and come away from this street, they will avoid this street. They will go, you know, miles out of the way to avoid walking past that place of trauma. And I mean, we do not fault them for that. And then a couple summers ago, we I got a phone call from our partners there. Um, this is one of my favorite things. Uh, two of the women, their sisters actually, they went to our program manager who is Mozambican herself. Her name is Leonore. And they said, you know what? We have found freedom. We have found true freedom. And we want to go back to that street and recruit and bring other women out of that darkness and into the life that we're living now. I I have goosebumps even telling this story because these women are literally going back to their place of trauma, the place where the worst possible things that have ever happened to them have happened. And they're going back voluntarily because they have experienced freedom and they are jealous for other women to experience that as well. And I can't think of anything more fierce or more lovely Hmm. than a woman walking into that situation to sometimes literally grab a woman by the wrist and like bring her into the light of a street lamp. Hmm. That is powerful. Um, and so these women do it on a scale that is just astounding. Um, Mm. talk (laughs) about fighting injustice, right? Coming right right up into the face of evil and saying, not on my watch. Boldly doing it boldly. And the women on that street, they still know these two women. And so, you know, well, who are you? You're the same as me but we're not anymore and you don't have to be either. Mm. I mean, come on. That's amazing. (laughs) Oh, to know these women. I just long to know these women. One of my – the most anxious thing I am about heaven is that we will just all know one another and Mm. we will see one another face-to-face and share stories and I just can't wait for that kind of party. Um, but tell us, you were about to say for you, what that looks like for you personally. 
I don't think I display it nearly as amazingly as these women do. Um, but it is, um, you know, it's, it's hard work sometimes. Um, it's hard work balancing my place in this fight and also knowing that it doesn't fall on me, that God is still sovereign in this fight. Um, but having said that, we are called to the work of being co-laborers with Christ and his work of redemption and restoration um, on this earth. And so if you know you're working alongside Jesus, that gives you fierceness. That, I mean, that's the charge, right? Right. right. That <laughs> emboldens you. That empowers your work. Absolutely does. And knowing like this is, yeah, this is ordained by God for his people to do this type of work. That um, That is emboldening. Like you can do it. Mm-hmm. And doing it with grace and doing it with loveliness can be difficult sometimes because I'm just going to be vulnerable here for a minute. There are times when I hear these stories of these pimps or these madams or these traffickers, and I want to dehumanize them. I just want to paint them as absolute total evil. But if I'm dehumanizing them, that's the same that they've done with their victims. And that's when we lose our own humanity is when we we humanize or demonize these individuals as well. And so it can be a struggle. And there are days that I don't manage or navigate that as well as I would like to. And there are days where I'm like, I just need to stop and I need to shut this computer off and go play with my babies, you know? And then there are other days where it's, you know, um, the spirit whispers, that's my beloved as well. And, um, so then I have to (laughs) try to be fiercely lovely. Um, I tend to go more fierce than lovely sometimes. And so (laughs) sometimes it's a challenge to remember the loveliness aspect of it, of, of working with grace and working, faithfully in grace. I think of what Fatima said, or the beginning of her story of entering the church, wondering, is my brokenness too far, too much Mm -hmm. for Jesus to heal? And when I think about my own intersection with what you just shared of, of wanting to demonize those who are sex buyers, those who are sex traffickers, um, in my work here locally in Colorado, we have begun offering a, a school for the sex buyers. And originally, my attitude was the same. I really struggled. Um, and it wasn't until I began to see them, see their face, see the shame in their eyes, and realize their brokenness is as strong as ours, as mine, as the women, the victims, and that they too were once a little boy, um, little girl who had harm done to them. And have, you know, gone a different direction and turned that into harming others. But there is a story of brokenness for them too. And there is redemption available for them too. There absolutely is. And I mean, that doesn't mean that they're, you know, scot-free, that, you know, you're, oh, you're fine. You know, you still have to, um, you know, there, there is, there are consequences for one's actions, but, exactly. you know, no person is should be defined by the worst thing that they have done. There, there, there is more exactly. to a person. Yeah. So Courtney, you mentioned sometimes needing to just go spend time with your precious children <laughs> to see yes. light and love and beauty again. Tell us a little bit, I mean, for young moms listening and wondering, is there, is there anything beyond diapers right now 
and <laughs> you know the mess of of little ones. How are you doing this all? How are you the director of Free the Girls in addition to being mama to these little tiny ones? What does that look like for you practically? <laughs> um different every day. Um, I, I am a person who very much likes my schedule and this is what we do and da, 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 and becoming a mom that kind of goes out the window sometimes. And so having grace with myself and learning how to adapt is, um, is key. I am incredibly blessed, um, that I am able to work from home, which is great. And so, Oliver basically lives in one of those cloth wraps. So he is on my chest. So if I'm answering an email or having a phone call, chances are he's right here. Um, Amelia is, um, she's great. She, um, you know, she'll sit by me and point at the computer sometimes. Like if I'm looking, you know, if I'm writing a blog post and I have, you know, pictures. And so I try to, you know, tell her like, yes, this is, this is in El Salvador, this is Costa Rica or something like that. Um, but you know, she'll also, she'll also play independently and okay, you know, mama needs to answer this email right now. Um, and you know, thankfully technology, I can answer an email while we're at the park or at, you know, um, that's, that's, that's good as well. Um, but I would say mostly it's community. Um, it's having family and friends that I can call on to say, Hey, I've got a staff meeting today and, you know, somebody's teething and I just, you know, can you help me out? And I I think having, having support and having some people and a community that you can rely on and not being ashamed to ask and not being embarrassed to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it can be hard sometimes. And, you know, is there, is there life outside of diapers and I'm doing cloth diapers. So it's, uh, is there life outside of laundry? Um, you know, I don't know sometimes, but, um, it's, you know, you just have to adapt and, and figure out how to do this. Um, how to do it well and how to do it not necessarily on your time. So maybe it's after the kids go to bed or, you know, during nap time, but it's something I believe in so much and just love this work. And so, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to still fit it in, but I'm going to fit it in with what works for my family in this particular season. Mm -hmm. You are living what I talk about when I say a big storied life. And by that, I mean, you know, you're in your home with two little kids in North, Northeastern Tennessee, Northwestern, Northeast North Carolina, Tennessee. I, yeah, in the Northeast Tennessee. Um, and, and yet you are impacting uh, these women who are in Sub-Saharan Africa and El Salvador. You are having an impact because your eyes are lifted to this bigger vision, a bigger story that God is telling um, through his women around the world. And you've embraced that and you are joining him and you're joining this global sisterhood. And that's what I mean when I talk about a big story life. So Courtney, you're such a great example of that. Thank you for being an example of that to us. And thanks for the work that you do with Free the Girls. I will definitely be pointing people to um, your website and the donate the way to get involved in Donate Bras uh, page on your website for women who want to get involved with you all and learn more. Uh, thanks for being on the show today, Courtney. I really appreciate hearing from you. Thank you, Beth. Hey, listeners. I thought it would be interesting 
to tell you a bit about my story with bras. I write all about it in the appendix of my book, A Voice Becoming, but I think it was one of those areas in my childhood that was deficient because for whatever reason, the lingerie department terrifies me. And when I had to take my oldest daughter shopping for real bras for the first time, it was kind of an ordeal. If there's one section of a department store that I would deem gluttonous, it would be the lingerie section. Why in the world are there so many choices? And why is it so complicated? Well, when she and I went for the first time, it was, it was a thing. But years later, when I had to take my youngest daughter, I decided to join Free the Girls. And I had overcome a lot of fears. And so what we did is donated her old training bras and bought two of the same, one to donate and one for her of her first real bra, just to participate in the incredible work of our global sisters uh, around the world. I love that Free the Girls makes it so easy for us to make an impact, to think that only four bras provides a livable wage for a woman in sub-Sahara Africa to walk freely and to provide for her family and change her family tree is astounding. Sign me up. It is so easy for you to participate. Just go to freethegirls.org to find out more information. Thanks for listening today. If you like what you're hearing, I invite you to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you listen and leave a review so that others can more easily find this podcast. Have a great day. Until next time, this is Beth Bruno, and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. Podcast.